This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, and welcome back to another session at the Global Supply Chain Week at FreightWaves. I'm Tyler Cole, Director of Carbon Intelligence, and today I'm joined by Daniel McGregor, co-founder of Nexiat. Daniel, how are you doing? Really great. Thanks, Tyler. How are you doing? Very well. Happy to have you. I'm, we've spoken several times and I learned something new every time. So I think our listeners, were going to get a lot out of this segment. Why don't we jump right in with the, a brief intro? Where are you from? And a little high level overview of Nexia. Yeah, so my name is Daniel McGregor. I'm actually originally from the UK. I was uh, brought up in Manchester. I moved to Switzerland in 2002. And uh, I always had it in my uh, my heart to make something impactful with my life. I don't know, didn't know what that meant back then. But you know, you just give it a go and see what's going to happen. But uh, you know, I always thought that, you know, meaningful change, it had to be also com commercially incentivizing. It's not just a matter of, um, you know, doing something that seems good and, you know, makes a, makes a nice resonance in the world, but actually it's got to be applicable and it has to be, uh, you know, able to demonstrate value. Otherwise, it's not going to fly. So um, I knew that IoT and uh, data-driven business models were coming somehow. Uh, I looked into the future and um, I was always uh, interested to do something enterprise-grade, scalable, recurring, etc. That's exciting. And so when did uh, you found Nexiat and you guys are in Switzerland, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I moved to Switzerland in 2002. I was actually a headhunter uh, in my uh, in my previous life, which is a bit like being a co-founder of a tech company because you're always floating on top of the markets. And, uh, you know, they say there's a phone and there's a computer makes some money. It's a bit like that, obviously, when you've got a runway and, uh, you know, investors' money's burning and uh, running out. So um, I, I actually joined a research lab at the ETH, which is one of the top technical universities. And uh, I was um, we were working on ultra low power embedded hardware, energy harvesting, complex systems, digital signal processing, um, algorithms and big data analytics, analytics. And it was quite sort of a, a hacking environment, let's just call it that. So, you know, we were taking things that existed already and breaking them and re remaking them and, and making something work. And actually, that's the perfect sort of, you know, culture for doing something really innovative because you have lots of different competencies in your, uh, you know, in your basket that you can deploy quite quickly and you can do lots of iterations and and make things happen. So, um, you know, that was the background. But obviously, I realized quite early that investors want to see recurring revenues. They want to see a large market to enter. Uh, you know, they want to see... Um, that you know that there is a a, a large um, a large win potential, and in order for them to 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 give you some money, and uh, obviously you know I was just um, a natural at getting out there and asking clients what they need, um, but obviously if you ask clients what they need, they probably can't imagine what they really need, uh, and that's maybe maybe the next step. But we got it down to this, um, you know, with IoT, uh, everybody was sort of talking about consumer applications. And um, and I wanted to do something enterprise grade, as I said, and I got it to this point where I said, you know, if you can monitor your pet in the garden and your child on the way to school and your luggage through the airport and your new shoes through the mail to your front door and even your pizza as it goes down the trundling down the road, you know, why can't you monitor a shipping container full of 
you know, Apple products all the way across the planet. It really doesn't make sense. And I, when I talk to people even now, you know, I think a lot of people find it amazing that actually that's that's not a standard. It is unbelievable. And, and it's really only just because we've gotten the low cost of computing power down so much over the last decade. And you've seen these advances in tech and communications and telecom that really make a lot of this possible. So when we think about, you know, IoT and hardware, Take us through that. How do, how do we find a step change in digitizing supply chains by rolling out some of those applications? Yeah, so, I mean, GPS has been around for 30 years. It's not something new. And obviously, you know, there was certain barriers that had stopped this from happening until now. And, you know, you're always wondering whether, you know, in hindsight, whether it was that nobody asked the right questions or the right set of questions, or perhaps it was that, you know, it's a combination of perfect storm of, asking the right questions and the price points of different hardware components becoming within reach. You know, so actually, if you look at, you know, why a shipping container is not monitored, then you, you've got all kinds of problems. You've got battery uh, lifetime, you know, the battery life, if it runs out after three months, then, you know, your ROI is gone because most of the cost is actually to take that shipping container out of productive operations and equip it. It might cost $500. And then you have like, the question of the return on investment, where where do we get our investment back? Probably it makes sense. But, you know, how do we know until we've got a sufficient number of assets equipped? And then the next thing, obviously, is how do we buy it? Even if we get our board to agree this, um, you know, how do we convince them to cover the capex on such a heavy asset investment? You know, and as we know, Silicon Valley is not very uh, keen on, uh, you know, asset heavy investments and has followed the asset lights investment sort of path of developing apps. Um, so, you know, there's obviously all these sort of mega trends and so on. But, you know, there were other things like the inst- there was no standards and so on. And then the question of what do you do even with the data? It's surely not about, um, you know, dots on the map. Um, and, um, you know, in actual fact, um, you know, we have to we have to consider this, uh, you know, as part of the solution. That's insightful and, and absolutely spot on. So when you think about putting this into practice, what are some of the integrations and places where these devices can make a difference for shippers or fleets? Where do you start? Well, well, I think the first thing is that um, the people that own the assets, um, you know, they've sort of run out of ground, really, in terms of adding new business value. Um, you know, they've become, you know, they're just basically doing the heavy lifting. And actually, this this asset is is actually an incredible source of information if it's equipped with some some hardware. And, um you know, those guys who are doing that asset moving, you know, they obviously want to try to add value to all of the stakeholders in the chain. And there's multiple stakeholders. It's not just the cargo owner that actually stands to benefit. There's everybody else through that chain as well. So the ports, the terminals, the customs, um, you know, the the 3PLs, 4PLs, um, the truckers, everybody needs some part of that data to know when something's going to arrive, the condition it's in, uh, you know, you know when it should be collected, um, you know, that they can prove, demonstrate that they've added the value that was expected from them and so on. So, um, you know, there's actually, uh, once you start to gather that data, then it's done, suddenly it's a, what, what can we do with it? Who else wants that data? And the asset owner goes shooting up the value chain in a sense, um, because, you know, they can start to provide a layer of digital services on top of that, you know, that, that dumb box that's just moving from A to B. Spot on. Yeah, it's this additional revenue model for fleets and asset owners. Once you start generating data, you know, data is the new gold, everybody says. So it's really about how do we how do we use that data now? Yeah, I always like this phrase, data, you know, data is the new oil, you know, people say, yeah, but my question is, why is nobody refining it, you know, so 
Um, it seems a bit like, you know, everyone likes the buzzword, uh, but nobody actually gets under the surface of what that means in terms of value. And then we get into maybe this is an all, another thing, which is the cultural shift, because, you know, we've got essentially kind of two groups of people in working in logistics and the supply chain. We've got the, the, the old guard who say, you know, this is how it works. This is our business. And actually many brilliant people every day in the supply chain do an incredible, you know, beyond the, you know, the call of duty to make sure that the things get delivered. So, you know, I certainly don't want to write that off because that's where all the domain knowledge is. But obviously the, you know, the new guys coming into it, the the more digital savvy, you know, sort of generations, they're actually saying, well, this doesn't make sense because I can track and monitor everything in my world. I've got, you know, my home connected and I can change the heating on demand from wherever I am and so on. And I can let the cat in, but I can't, you know, I can't access this information as part of my, my regular everyday job. And then maybe we actually look at the topic of what transparency is, because we've got a situation where it's almost a semantic war, because, you know, what's transparency 20 years ago and what tra- what transparency can mean today are very, very different things. So, you know, we've got like a limited language and everyone's competing for the same word. But what I mean by transparency when I'm talking about, you know, full real time asset and cargo transparency delivered directly in you know from prime data from those from those objects no matter where they are in the world and then comparing that to uh, you know something like you know an aggregator of data that's bringing port turn in turn out times and gps data from trucks that truck tractor units that might be on or off you know and obviously that's not linked to the cargo in the back so um, you know, there's obviously different levels of transparency, and then we can do the same exercise for sustainability and all kinds of different topics. You know, what's what's real visibility? What's real transparency? And what does it mean for your business? Because, you know, if we take an example, if something gets hit, there's an impact event in the supply chain. Normally, everybody's pointing the finger. Those guys did it. And, uh, you know, obviously, this is difficult to call people to account but if, if we know, for example, we take that shock data from the asset li- live, we do pattern recognition of it on it. We know the location, the timestamp and the, and the exact nature of the shock and what caused it. Then you can take a business process outcome as far as train the, train the crane driver or, or send the data to the insurance team and, or do a pre-trip inspection before you release that asset because it needs to be checked before it's sent you know, to its destination. And actually, if you think about all of these slight, tiny errors, that's where a lot of the sustainable value comes from because, you know, cargo gets damaged. I was speaking to somebody recently from a a, um, a makeup company that make lipstick. And if you think that, you know, it, it's heading out to Dubai or somewhere, it's standing on the on the tarmac, um, it's 50, 60 degrees out uh, inside the container, um, lipstick probably melts and you've got kind of a soup with some plastic in there and, you know, it's all contaminated and there's only one place that that's going to go. It's not going to go on the shelves. So that's exactly right. And those are, you know, several great examples that I hadn't thought about. You're right. We typically limit what we mean by transparency to the things that we use or see every day as you know, consumers, GPS locating. But the, the amount of data you're able to generate and inform other business processes, whether that's insurance, whether that's cargo liabilities, whether that's predictive analytics around maintenance, you know, those are some of the things that are next gen that I see coming from solutions like this. So maybe you know, there's one or two other examples you could shed light on additional use cases for that data beyond just cargo tracking. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, we talked about the impact event, but let's just think about oil oil or bitumen that's been transported in rail uh, tanks, uh, rail car tanks. 
Um, so you know when it, when it's coming up to uh, in sort of in northern hemispheres, um, you know if it's too cold, you can't unload. So um, you know this stuff is very viscous, and you know it's sort of it's minus minus five degrees centigrade, whatever that is in Fahrenheit. Sorry, guys, not good with the translation, but it's pretty cold, yeah. And um, you know we're reaching a situation where um, you know a whole rail composition has arrived at a processing plant, and none of it can be unloaded. And actually, the thing needs to be preheated, you know, at a certain stations before it arrives there. Now, you know, that might seem like it's not a sustainability issue, but you have to turn the train around and move it back again to a place that you can heat it. You've got to heat it and then you've got to move it in. So, again, it's lack of lack of flow of cargo, lack of flow of assets, lack of uh, lack of visibility is causing these hiccups, you know, all over the place. And then, you know, actually you go to Canada again. I was at, um, you know, a recent uh, event in Canada where they were explaining that they've had, you know, over the last 10 years or so, they've had 17 derailments that have caused fires. Now, um, you know, from the from the the crude oil or, you know, the products of crude oil that, that catch fire from a spark and explode. And they were talking about their solution is to slow the cargo f- down so you know in cold weather they they the the track gets pushed up by the ice and then there's a gap between the two parts of track and the the you know the 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 wheels hit that and then derails the train so they say okay to be safe we'll slow it down but actually if you look at the models they only have you know 20 data points or examples of this happening um it's it's a cataclysmic event potentially especially if it happens near a town in one 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 case it did and, um, you know, so there's lots of different value that can be extracted from that. If you can actually just prevent that from happening, you have environmental uh, damage is reduced. You have, uh, you know, better um, better flow of assets. You have, you know, the, the, the if you look at a plant operation in a chemical industry, um, just one minute of plant downtime can amount to $100,000. So uh, if something turns up a week late and you've got your whole plant set up for that, that chemical or that good to arrive, and it doesn't arrive when you're expecting it. So then we get into the topic of ETAs and uh, you know and and managing uh, the flow or the the asset and the cargo, the quality of the cargo, the conditions of the cargo, the conditions also of the asset. You get into the digital twin. Um, you know you can even inform your product lifecycle management in terms of asset asset management and uh, and what what components to select. Um, you know, for in the future for that asset, or even which customer to give it to. If I give it to this customer and they take it for three years versus this customer, uh, you know, for five years, uh, what's the what's the damage to the asset, the depreciation, uh, what's the impact to our business, how much profit are we going to make, and uh, you know, how can we manage our sustainability objectives as well? Those are fantastic use cases, and it makes me think of several others, including you know, reverse logistics, and you mentioned inventory allocation and things like that. How, how does Nexiot help? You know, we've discussed the hardware side a little bit, and we'll send our listeners to your website to learn more about the specific um, hardware models that are available today. But talk about how that gets integrated with software and how Nexiot helps shippers make sense of the data that is being generated now in their network. Yeah, so, I mean, well, obviously, um, it starts with the hardware. Hardware is an enabler. You've got to take that problem off the table to make it reasonable for everybody to get access to the data. And we're talking about data in extremely high resolution. Uh, we're talking about, um, you know, data coming from multiple sensors on board. We always had an extremely open source approach to our business. So we said we'd like to be able to connect any third-party sensor to our gateway, any third-party gateway to our cloud. 
But as you say, the real value comes when you start to look at the intelligent cloud. So we've got the Nexiot Connect intelligent cloud. We're already gathering uh, from our 200,000 assets, mostly on rail, but also on, on shipping containers into modal and tank containers. We're gathering, you know, 1.8 billion data points a month or more. And um, then we that's just the start. Okay, so that data has to be cleaned up. What's data these days? Is it zeros and ones? Uh, is it data that's been treated and cleaned with algorithms to, to do plausibility calculations on things so that you're not getting, you know, sort of false signals? Um, how much can you trust that data? And then what do you do with it? How do you mix it with other data from APIs, from third-party APIs, so uh, weather data, ship traffic data, et cetera. And then how do you start to build the story of that asset and that cargo as it goes through the, through the supply chain? And then, you know, actually, it's interesting because when we work with our customers, they, they, we always have that moment where, you know, you don't know what you don't yet know. And you start to dive into the data and you start to see these incredible conversations where, you know, somebody on the, on the equipment operations side starts to tell somebody on the commercial side of the business, I told you that was happening, but I could never prove it till now. You know, so there's these kinds of like wow moments and everyone's enjoying this kind of, you know, this brainstorming around what we, what we can do more with the data. And, you know, I don't know if you're sort of familiar with this idea of digital twins, but a digital twin is a simulation model that, um, you know, exists in the cloud that replicates an existing physical object. And, um, and actually, you know, we can build a digital twin from a physical object. We can build a digital twin from the components that are associated with that object. We can build a digital twin of the entire fleet of objects. And we can build the twin of the processes around those objects. So, you know, we've got this incredibly long path in front of us. We're really babies, all of us at the start of this digital journey, because, um, you know, the more we dig, the more we find, the more we can optimize, and the more we can communicate these things. So actually to leap even further ahead when we start talking about digital twins actually we need to reimagine the human machine interface that uh, humans are working together with digital twins and that actually we have a digital agent that's helping the human because the human in my mind today is not really valued it's almost like humans have become gadgets forwarding information and covering their backs and making sure that everything's you know tip top when the manager looks into the into the into the uh, you know the sort of the chain of events, um, and that's all recorded on emails and, and text and all kinds of things. Yeah, actually, the human should be supported by you know the machine. So it says this thing has been has been short shipped. It's still in Morocco. It's going to be here next Thursday. Uh, the, your boss has been involved. The invoice has been changed, and the guy on the gate's been informed to come in early that day. Click. I agree to that. Yes, I agree. I like those decisions that the machines made based on the data. And then the next thing is to empower the human to be more human. So the human is, you know, suggested or prompted. We have 15 tank containers around the corner um, at this time of year when the weather's hot. Uh, you know, probably uh, this producer of ice cream or beer um, is needing more capacity. Why don't you pick up the phone and call your friend and see if he wants to take them off your hands? And that human is then, you know, it's freed up all of that time that would be chasing the information um, and actually uh, given the sort of the empowerment to actually make some creative decisions based on relationships. And, um, you know, it's not removing people's jobs. It's actually giving them the tools that they can do a better job. Yeah, it's, it's enhancing our efficiency, right? And what you're describing really in the current state is activities and processes that take operators, you know, a whole day 
through different streams of information, most likely manual email or phone, coming in, aggregating that information just to make that one business decision. And once we start digitizing and can move that data into meaningful scenario outcomes and have tools that, as you're saying, become digital agents that improve the human decision-making process, it, it really does let us do so much more with less, which is you know the goal of being 100% digital with no waste, right? Which is where we need to march toward. Yeah. So, I mean, we can talk about values and about what we're trying to achieve here. And obviously, you know, we've got to back to the beginning of the discussion. It's got to be commercially incentivizing. It has to have legs in the boardroom because we've got a responsibility to our shareholders and our stakeholders to to make it make financial sense. But, you know, we have to take a step back as a humanity, uh, as humanity now and say, you know, what's really value and what is, you know, what is wealth and what is how can we how can we ensure that value is not lost or seeping out at every stage in that journey. Because, you know, if you think about all of the compilation of all of these slight errors or or slip-ups, the, the cumulative time that it's actually, you know, impacting and the fact that the this, it, this idea of insecurity um, and uh, and what you know what actually uh, you know how we can how we can make the whole thing more uh, robust and more um, you know desirable to work as in, in in an industry to attract smart people and so on. You know, you're exactly right. You're bringing back in your old headhunter days there too. Unfortunately, yeah. we are I think running out of time. But listeners can tune back in. I think in the next month or so, we're going to have you on net zero carbon, and we'll go a little bit deeper into some other sustainability issues that Nexiot is helping to address. So, thank you so much for your time. Um, best of luck with Nexiat, and we look forward to continuing the conversation soon. Well, thanks for having me, Tyler, and uh, you know everybody. I'm very much looking forward to keeping this journey going because we're on we're on something here, and it's uh, it's an exciting moment for the industry. Spot on. Have a great afternoon. Thanks a lot.